0: Welcome to Edge of Sports, the podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we speak to the four-time All-American, three-time champion, two-time player of the year from Tennessee, Shamiqua holds We're talking to her for a whole variety of reasons, but the central reason has to do with Gilbert Arenas. Gilbert Arenas' comments about the WNBA, horrifically racist sexist comments about the players, how they look, and basically arguing that they should dress up like strippers if they want people to actually watch the games. Ladies and gentlemen, the the victory, what is your response to Gilbert Arenas?
1: man i was I was just kind of uh shocked and disappointed in Gilbert because you know during my uh tenure in d c we both were there and right. you know i wor- i I had so much respect for him as a player, and you know Gilbert can be funny he's a he's a great uh he's great for the media says some things sometimes that has people like what what did he say mm-hmm. but on the other hand, this is a man from, from my knowledge that has four daughters you know mm-hmm. like and he's raising um you know young women and I'm like wow like for him to say something so sexist, it, it just blew me away.
0: It, it was shocking on pretty much every conceivable level. I, I wanted to ask you, because I know you speak to a lot of young people. Um, you do you do the role model thing, and it's very well earned. Um, a young girl comes up to you and says, Why would Gilbert Arena say that? How do you answer that question to that little young girl?
1: Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to tell her, you know, I, unfortunately, you know, sex sells. You know, this is what we show young people on television from the reality shows where these women are hardly wearing any clothes and, you know, our society lifts them up and like they're the cool thing. But I would tell them, you know, just focus on who you are know who you are. Um, Educate yourself. You know, your mind is the most powerful thing. You don't have to take off your clothes to be successful.
0: Mm. And if a young girl said to you, like, should I play basketball or will people think I'm weird like Gilbert Arenas was saying? I mean, what what do you say to a young girl who's got skills the way you had skills but feels self-conscious after reading his
1: words? I mean, I would just tell them just, you know, you can't worry about, you know, what people say, you know, just go out there if it's in your heart and you, in, in passion. And you have so many great role models, you know, from, you know, uh, Lisa Leslie to, to the Candace Parkers to Skylar Diggins and... These are all, you know, beautiful, successful women. And I would tell that young lady, that could be you.
0: Mm. It, it's, it would be great if we could get it away from talking about be- about beauty being a precondition of being a star athlete.
1: Yeah, it's, re- it's really sad because, um, you know, I have a lot of male friends that would come to the game to support me when I played. And as soon as, you know, we take a shower and we would come out, they're like, oh, my God, like, I didn't know this one was so beautiful. Man, I didn't know this. It's because the uniforms. I mean, the uniforms aren't the most uh, flattering thing. And honestly, you know, we are athletes, so some of us have, you know, great physiques, but you can't see that when the uniform is just like a box.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, we can say, you know, just between us here in the audience, Gilbert, we could say, Gilbert, you've, you've been a funny guy, a good guy. Uh, a great community guy below the below the radar, but you know that that's kind of a jackass thing to say.
1: Yeah, it, it was stupid, and I know that he probably like regrets it. Um, especially with you know all the people you know taking uh, shots at him. It was like mm-hmm. a girl power power movement, uh, you know, against um, Gilbert. But again, you <laughs> that's, know... I just love that
0: <laughs> sentence. There was a girl power movement against Gilbert. <laughs>
1: Man, I, I I was like, what? Like everyone's kind of going at him, and it wasn't just basketball players. You know, it's uh, you know, parents. Everybody was saying things uh, about him. But on the flip side, you know, knowing Gilbert, uh, you know, I just think he said it to kind of be comical, and you know, he had a lot of a lot of backlash because I think he, you know, he he's been a great community guy. You know, he he does a lot for people. Like he said, under the radar, I've seen it and witnessed it, uh, you know, firsthand. So. You know, I, I just was like, man, he just he just made a mistake. And I'm a forgiving person, so, you know, mm. I, I forgave him.
0: <laughs> no, and I hear you about that. And that goes straight to my next question here because I, I think one of the most heroic things you've ever done has nothing to do with basketball. It's being open with the world about issues of mental wellness and depression because – there, there's so much shame and mystery that surrounds that in the sports world as if people are scared to talk about it. And I know you and I have talked about that before. I guess I wanted to ask you if from your eye, do you think leagues are getting better at talking about mental health?
1: Oh, definitely. As you can see, it's a um, big topic right now, um, not just in sports, um, but you know, just the world, what's going on with you know, these uh, you know, people killing um, you know people holding people hostage and you know there's just a lot of a, a mental illness out there and you know when you look at athletes more athletes are coming forth and saying that you know they struggle with this and that and it's not just women it's men and I think you know when these male athletes who we look at these dominant forces with all these muscles start talking about hey you know I'm great but I'm not winning um, the mental advantage it really um, you know forces people to pay attention
0: And I think what you did, obviously, what was so brave was being public. And what what was that moment? Do you remember a moment when you realized or when you just believed that this was not something you could either bear alone or bear in privacy, but that part of healing was being public and unashamed to the world? Did you have a moment where you were like, this is what I need to do?
1: Yeah, um, Yes, I I just really had to live in my truth because, honestly, if, if I didn't just speak out about it, Um, I know that ultimately it was going to, like, kill me because what happened was I was holding, like, so much inside and trying to hide things that... You know, um, I was having these, like, um, explosions, you know, with, within my family, within my friends, and it was getting worse and worse, and, you know, I had to come to grips. Like, I'm not perfect, and that's why I kept telling myself, you know, there's other people going through the same thing, so I can't be embarrassed about this. Like, I've done a lot of great things. Uh, you know, I've uh, been able to help a lot of people, and so I just I just have to deal with this. And, you know, and me, when I opened my mouth and I spoke about it, I realized, like, a lot of people— We're going through the
0: same thing, and I automatically form like a support group. Mm. Now, now you'd won seven straight championships, high school through college, you're named Player of the 90s uh, by the NCAA. Did you ever have a moment where you tried to talk to people about it, but their reaction was like, what do you have to be depressed about? Or who are you to be sad about anything? You have a charmed life. Did you get the... Was that kind of pushback something you had to deal with from people who are ignorant about these issues?
1: Um, Definitely. You know, some some friends and, you know, some family members, un- unfortunately. And, you know, I'm already a sort of an introvert, so when I finally open up to talk to these people about it to kind of be like, hey, you know, like you have a great life, you know, shake it off. And I couldn't shake it off. It, it caused me to just go... Um, more inwardly, and that's when I just really kind of shut down and I was just like, I-, I can't talk to anyone about this.
0: And it's like what you said about hearing the guy with the muscles when people hear you say it, it actually makes them feel like, okay, you know then I can say it too. And that, Definitely. that's a beautiful thing. Um, I know you were working on a film about your your mental health journey. Is that still ongoing? How is that going right now?
1: Oh, it's it's going great. We've won a bunch of awards in various. Film yeah. festivals. So we're feeling good about it. Just really um, trying to get it out to as much, um, you know, institutions as far as uh, universities and and colleges and, and youth programs as possible. So um, it's being it's is great, man. I'm I'm just really um, happy with the project because when you put your life out there and give someone permission to do a story, mm-hmm. you just never know um, how it's gonna turn out. And I, I'm just glad, you know, he um, Rick Goldsmith, the director, um, uh, you know, show. gave gave it justice, you know, he just did an amazing job. People call me crazy, an enigma, lost, all these things. And the whole time in the back of my head, I'm like, that's not who I am. Athletes are taught to never be weak. I'll give you something to cry about, no pain, no gain. For them to say, I need help, that's a very, very tough thing for them to do.
0: What's the name of the film? Can you tell folks so they can um, seek it out?
1: Um, it's called uh, Mind Game, The Unquiet Journey of Shamequa Claw. And the cool thing I got to do lately is um, I was a big, you know, Jimmy Carter fan and pre- uh, former president. And his wife, Rosalind Carter, invited me to the Carter Center in Atlanta and held a screening. And it was just un- unbelievable. I mean, she's so sharp to be 90-something years old. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And, and um, you know, just to hear her tell me her story, how she's championed behind mental um, mental uh, wellness for 40-plus years. Mm. So it's, it's amazing. I, I, I learned so much from her in that sitting. Wow. But um, if they're interested in a the film, they can go and um, purchase it also at mindgamefilm.org.
0: Wow, fantastic. Thanks for telling us that. All right. Now, can I ask just a uh, t- couple of fan two fanboy questions before? You've been so generous with your time. I have two okay. fanboy questions, and I apologize. But the right. first is, I'm looking at these Golden State Warriors, and I see some of that Pat's Summit volunteers in them, this idea that they just refuse to lose. So, I feel like you're one of the few people who can have an insight as to what that's like to feel like you can never lose on a basketball court. What are those guys going through right now?
1: Man, they're just focused on each other. They're probably a team where they're holding each other accountable. Um, and that's when, you know, it's, it's not up. The coach probably doesn't really have to coach. The coach gave them the game plan, and those guys are going out there and every night deciding to work hard, hold each other accountable, and have fun. They're having fun out there. You see, a lot, of, a lot of smiles, a lot of intensity on the defensive end. And most importantly, they're unselfish. We know Steph Carey is an amazing players, player, but he's really getting everyone involved. The ball is moving. And this is beautiful to watch.
0: Mm. All right, next question. All right, in terms, when you think of the most skilled players you've ever faced, who are just like the top two or three that just flashbang into your head as far as just like pure ball skills?
1: Oh, man, pure ball skills. Uh, Man, I had had the opportunity to play against a lot of amazing players uh, and with some. I'm going to say, I'm going to go from post to guard. I'm going to say the most amazing, like, inside player is Lisa Leslie because, you know, she could just um, do so much, you know, put the ball on the floor, uh, face up, bang inside. I mean, she's so versatile. And I'm going to say on the perimeter, um, I really just like Tarasi. I Mm. mean, she's just really, really, really... Tough nose, but I'm gonna have to say, like, my all time favorite player, and it's the most um, she's received the most medals out of any other basketball player. Um, and I think she lit the torch in the Olympics in Atlanta in '96, Teresa Edwards. Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean. <laughs> I mean, I had a chance to play with her and I'm like, man, if woo, she's probably one of the best guards that I've ever seen play. And unfortunately, you know, they didn't have the exposure like we do now, but whoa, she's a lot to handle. <laughs>
0: wow. That's so cool. And this next generation of Maya Moore and Della Donna, it really does seem like the game is in good hands. And, oh, it does. And this gets to my last question. All right. I have in my, like, in, in a stack, in my attic, it's one of the few that is not allowed to be thrown out of my old Slam magazines, and one of them is you on the cover in the Knicks jersey. So my question is, do you have it framed in every room in your house, or just in a special trophy room?
1: Man, I have like a bunch of uh, copies, but someone gave it to me um, framed, and guess who? Guess who took it for me? Who? Steve Francis. Oh. <laughs> No. Yes, I had, it, I, I had it in my house, and uh, he took it, and he had gave me, like, one of his. I had, like, one of his uh, plaques or whatever. He just signed it, and then I, like, turned my head, and he was gone, and he was like, thanks for the gift.
0: Well, listen to this. <laughs> I, I live in Tacoma Park, Maryland, and so if I see Steve walking down the street, I'm going to be like, you have to give Ms. Holdsclaw back her framed slam cover
1: i know i know but i I was thinking um i'm gonna um keep it because he does a great job his daughter plays basketball now and it's also his son and he's always telling them about me so you know i've had a relationship with them and they get to see it and she's like i'm gonna be better than you
0: (laughs) oh that's awesome (laughs) so that's that's a nice bar for steve's daughter my goodness yes definitely Shemeika Holds Claw, it's our honor. It's our pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on the Edge of Sports Pod. Um,
1: thanks for having me, guys.
0: And hey, could you give folks your Twitter feed before you go in case folks want to follow up with you? Oh,
1: yeah. All my social media is the same, and that's uh, C-HOLD1, that's C-H-O-L-D, in the, the, the number one. The number the number one. The number
0: thanks so much to Shamiko Holds Claw, one of the all-time greats. You can see her film at mindgamefilm.org. Okay, let's transition from basketball talk to football talk here because in studio we also have David Steele from the Sporting News. We're going to talk to David about all things Odell Beckham and how it felt to write a column about Donald Trump and Tom Brady and the backlash that came after that. David, how does it feel to be part of the story? I'm right dead smack in the middle of that, right, right at the collision point, but right I'm the, great. <laughs> right at the corner of Brady and Trump. And we're going to talk to David about that. But first, I would be derelict in my duty as an interviewer if I didn't ask you about the story that's burning up the airwaves right now. Odell Beckham going after Josh Norman, helmet to head, happening to it the week the concussion movie comes out. Hey, imagine that. And I want to put it right to you, David. Uh, when you saw that play in real time, what was your reaction?
2: I just said, how is he still in the game? How do, you, how do you allow that to happen? And I, I just knew immediately there was going to be some suspensions. And I was at another game, you know, paying more attention to it. I was up, at the, uh, up, up, up in Baltimore. And the, the, the entire press box was buzzing about not just that, but about the entire backstory that built up toward it, all the fighting and wrestling and flag throwing that went on and everything. And yet everybody knew that it, within all of this atmosphere that Odell Beckham, Crossed the line that he absolutely should not have crossed, at least not a line on the football field. It's, you know, even the idea he, of launching your launching. Uh, helmet at somebody. Once, once you saw the replay itself, and not just the, sort of the this, this this snippet from him sort of appearing from the corner of the screen, and you saw the entire thing from him turning around, getting a running start, and diving into him. I mean, what can you do that's worse on a football field? And, and that's I, something time.
0: I wanted to ask you because you've been covering the sport for a while. Uh, is this the sort of thing where we're just shocked about it because of what we know about concussions? Or is this the sort of thing that even 20, 30 years ago we also would have said, whoa, that is over the line?
2: You know, I, I think those sort of things were more commonplace. We were more used to it from the old-time players from the guys from the, the 70s and 80s, and we certainly had a different mindset about what was fair and what was unfair. But even things like that, whenever guys got hit in the head, it, it always gave you that little catch in your throat and that knot in your stomach, wondering if the guy was going to get back up, not certainly with the incidents of now. And, and yet, it's, it's a weird thing. Right now, it seems as if the more focus there is on how bad this all is, the more knowledge we get and the more the NFL wrestles with it so publicly and usually so wrongly, the more players seem nonchalant about doing it. You mm. know, we, we see more and more plays like that. A lot of them end up with, you know, not ending up with Josh, Josh Norman walking away the way he did for this one. We see guys laid out for, for on the field for several minutes, the cart coming out, all the players kneeling and praying and, and crying, and the whole stadium hushed, and everybody all of a sudden sort of tuning in from around the rest of the country going, oh, my God, what's going on? Is this, could this really be it? That's the sort of thing that you know that can result from these sort of things. and yeah, could
0: this be that moment? and it yeah. would be the second time in NFL history uh, where a player died on the field yeah,
2: and and you can't help but think of things like that because we know the dangers, and we we have more of an we have more of a sense of you know the force that it takes to do something like that. And, and yet and hey, still, we still see is, it a this whole lot. This
0: is a Star Wars reference free zone, so please don't talk about the force on my time, buddy. You do that on your show, not my time. So let me ask you this, because um, you and I have, have similar political sensibilities putting that out there. And this is just something that I've been wrestling with, because I found what Odell Beckham Jr. to do to be um, inexcusable uh it's, it's basically making a coworker of yours very unsafe putting their life in peril right. and then i heard that the homophobic taunting towards Odell Beckham Jr. was going on from before the game even started. And then even in the post-game comments, they were calling him, I mean, just outrageous stuff that, frankly, I don't think I've heard in a while in the NFL, like calling him a ballerina, he called him a female. And then on the sidelines, they called him B-words, F-words, everything you can imagine. And it's so interesting because coming after this huge story in in the NBA, which we're going to talk a little bit more about later about how the NBA basically just said we we are this is a we have no tolerance for hate speech. Like and put that down very clearly. And now you've got uh, Odell Beckham, Jr. basically, they're trying to get under his skin and saying all this stuff. And then he responds with that level of violence. Does it make you more sympathetic to Odell knowing that they were baiting him with that kind of language?
2: You know, I don't know if sympathetic is the word. i I, I think I understand it more. I still think that, that's a terrible way to react to it, but I understand why he would and why it would have gone on literally the entire game before that. It really had put him in that frame of mind. And yeah, there. Was, since we're talking about things that are over the line, yes, that from what we were hearing, that was way over the line from what even standard, you know, trash talk in the in in the NFL. Yeah. You know. You know. A lot of words do slip around. Right. And here's, here's they the, brought bats. Yeah, they I mean, brought bats. Which is of this. yeah.
0: When I say bats, I don't mean the flying night creatures either. I mean, they brought baseball bats.
2: Yeah, clearly.
0: I heard someone say, it's like, what's the big deal? They weren't brandishing them. They were just holding them by their leg. And it's like, dude, it's a bat. It's not like holding a pencil by your leg. The implied threat of the bat is the bat. I saw the Warriors. I remember the baseball furies. (laughs) I know how scary they can be. Oh,
2: absolutely. Let me
0: ask you this, though. Because, all right, so that's Odell. Uh, that's Josh Norman. That's an ugly story. Yeah. It's going to get uglier. The league better look into this. They are. But it's unbelievable. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> you right. Exactly. Um, the timing of it alone was yeah. unbelievable because not only – did that horrific, frightening hit happen the week of the concussion movie. Not only did it happen two days before the NFL pulled out of a concussion study, according to ESPN, because a $30 million study, because they didn't trust one of the doctors because he'd been too hard on him in years past. Not only that, but that particular week, the Giants were the first NFL team to do a You Can Play event. In other words, for LGBT people to feel safe in a sports locker room. And they had all these young kids who do LGBT work, gay, straight allies. They had them at the young kids, though, at this event on the sideline hearing all of this homophobic jibber jabber. Yeah. Ain't that
2: something? What a lesson that must have been. So I mean, Maybe they need to have one of those events down in Charlotte, huh?
0: Seriously. <laughs> so, but all right, dude, you wrote a story about Donald Trump. And Tom Brady. First, give people just the thesis of what your argument was. Well, uh, great piece, by the way. We will have a you. link to this piece in the description of this podcast. And
2: I'm, you know, and I'm glad to join a law an awful lot of people who wrote really great, smart things about this. So I'm not going to take all the glory to myself or anything. But Tom Brady had a hat, and he's had it. He's had it in there for several months in his locker. What the hat great say? Again. Make America great again.
0: It hasn't been great. Why not? I. Phew,
2: Again, that's the thing, you know. Like yeah, we, it used to be, like when my parents and grandparents were growing up, it was wonderful for them. They really can't wait to get back to those days. But, uh, but yeah, that was been in his locker for for months, and he had he he's gotten a couple of questions about it. He got a couple more questions about it recently. He went on, you know, Boston's favorite radio station to discuss it, and to basically beg out of the entire conversation. Said, "Can I not get into this debate?" My point was, you have to get into this debate. You're in it whether you want to be in it or not. You put the hat there. You put your your, your friendship with Donald Trump out on the line. You know who Donald Trump is, what he stands for, what he's all about. Don't shrink into the shadows. Don't be a marshmallow about it now. Stand up and say, I'm with this guy. I'm not with this guy. I stand for what he stands for. I don't stand for what he stands for take a stand, like all the athletes in very recent history and in our past history who have had the guts to stand up. Now, let me what tell you why
0: are. I love this piece. Can I tell you? Please do. Because we never make those kinds of demands of white athletes. Thank you. I'm glad you never. got that connection. Oh, yeah. See, sometimes I'm too subtle. No, 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 no. I am. Sometimes it's like a jazz musician. Sometimes you have to listen to the notes that aren't playing. There you go. See, I read the <laughs> words that you didn't write. I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's like... That's the th- something I've always believed in is someone who has always championed political athletes and chided athletes who chose not to take a stance within that is just a lot of anger about the hypocrisy of like a golfing world that needs to hear what Tiger says about women being kept out of a out of a tournament or a club, but then don't ask Phil Mickelson the same question as if tiger some has somehow some kind of like a sense of solidarity with women who can't get into a go- Yeah, I don't. I don't think so, Tiger. Yeah, yeah, Tigers, I think we've learned uh, other no, things about Tigers about it. that. But but it's just like the idea that a demand, a set of demands, is placed on one and not the other. So all right, so that's a great piece. So what was the response from either Trump Nation or Brady Nation or the intersection <laughs> of the two? Uh, you
2: know the you know the Trump uh, Tra- Brady Nation and uh, Patriot Nation. Reacted the way they have ever since the Flategate started, pretty much. It's us against them. You're the enemy now. You know, and uh, their basis for it was, you know, Tom Brady doesn't have to do anything except be an athlete, which I'm like, well, I I, I couldn't. We are complete opposite sides on this because he has the capability. He has the fame, the the, the international recognition, certainly, and certainly recognition from, from coast to coast, that every athlete in this country would, would, would crave, they would envy it, they would be jealous of it. They probably are jealous of it. The reach, the, 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 the voice, the platform, and you're wasting it. And even less, you have an opportunity to say something one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to tell them what to say. I know what I would say. I know how I feel. You know, mm-hmm. make your, make, your, make yourself known. But if you're behind tonight, you use the platform that you have and don't. And all these fans are saying, "No, don't." Then the Trump fans, of course, were saying, "You know, hey, who are you to <laughs> who dare? You know, go up against the uh, the man who's going to make America great
0: again." Yeah, you are just a roadblock, <laughs> a stepping stone <laughs> for Trump. He's going to make us great to death. Yeah. Wow. Hey, David, man, I really do appreciate you coming in. I want you to – don't go yet, though, David. I see you're, you're reaching for your coat. <laughs> but um, but I want you to know every week on this show we do something called the Just Stand Up Award. And the Just Stand Up Award is something we give to somebody in the sports world who stands up for something. So it relates directly to what your Brady-Trump argument is. And I'll tell you something. We started this because of another show that I don't want to say the name of it. It rhymes with Schmike and Schmike and the Schmorning. And um, what they said on Schmike and Schmike once again, I, I believe in a little, you know, a little discretion here. They said on Schmike and Schmike that uh, something called the Just Shut Up Award about who in the sports world is talking too much because we need more oxygen for them. And in this case, we do the Just Stand Up Award for people who actually stand up for something. And to me. This is the easiest one we've ever done in the history of this show, in the long-storied history of the Edge of Sports podcast. For me, the Just Stand Up Award, it's obvious who it's going to be, David. It is Bill Kennedy, uh, longtime NBA referee, very respected throughout the business. He found himself in Mexico City with Ray John Rondo in his face, showering him with homophobic invective and needing to be, quote-unquote, restrained by officials and his own teammates. So what does Bill Kennedy do after that? He chooses to say, you know what? I'm going to do an interview with Yahoo Sports and say this. This is what Bill Kennedy said. I'm proud to be an NBA referee and I'm proud to be a gay man. I'm following in the footsteps of others who have self-identified in the hopes that I will send a message to young men and women in sports that you must allow no one to make you feel ashamed of who you are." That, to me, was so brave because if you think about it, what he's doing is he's saying, okay, I'm being showered with homophobia, and Rajon Rondo and whoever is counting on my silence because they know I'm gay, but I'm not gay publicly, I'm not gay to my family, uh, to everybody in my family— but I am going to tell the world who I am as a – almost like as a response to, frankly, a kind of blackmail, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, so it's like it's brave
1: Yeah. to be like
0: this weird. guy is try- – because, you know, why is it blackmail? Because Rondo assumes that Kennedy will be ashamed by him calling him these homophobic things. So he is going to shower him with shame. And in response, Bill Kennedy doesn't choose to ignore it or, God forbid, feel ashamed. Yeah. He chooses instead to say, I won't be ashamed. And that's powerful. That's just stand up. And that's why I get to stand up award. And Any quick words from you on David? I like giving the last word he to the did. guest. <laughs> he,
2: tur- he turned it yeah. around and showed who really should be the one who should be ashamed. And it's, Ra- it's Rajan Rondo and the people who believe that that was okay for him to do that to Damn. another person. So uh, that was say. tremendous. And I'm hoping that, and I don't know when it's going to happen. I can't tell anybody to do it on anything other than their own time. But I hope that when a major male team sport athlete does decide to come out, that that's the way that they do it, in a way to flip the script on the people who do the things like taunting on the sidelines, taunting during warm-ups, taunting during timeouts, taunting from the stands, to say, hey, that's not a weapon you could use against me because I don't look at it as something that can damage me.
0: David Steele, how can people follow you on your social medias? Let us know.
2: Uh, I am on Facebook and uh, I am on Twitter. My Twitter handle is David underscore C underscore Steele. Don't forget the e on the end.
0: Yo, this is the last show before Christmas, and so just want to say Happy Holidays to everybody. Whether you uh, use it as a day of religion or as a day just to get some presents. Please follow the show on Twitter at Edge of Sports. You can email me, Dave Zirin, at edgeofsports at slate.com. And you can listen to all the back shows, including interviews with folks like Chuck D and John Legend. And now, hey, Shamiqua Holdsclaw at our new website, edgeofsportspodcast.com. Thanks to the Panoply Network. Thanks to Dan Bloom. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher. We are out of here. Peace on Earth.